people care about their car buying journey, provide your customers with an unparalleled chat and digital retailing experience with Goobagoo. Whether your customers are online or in-store, Goobagoo is there. See the magic at Goobagoo.com. That's G-U-B-A-G-O-O.com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. We're coming to you from Las Vegas, where CES kicks off this week. With so many big names in automotive technology and innovation here, we're going to pack as many conversations as we can into this week's episodes. Later in the show, we'll hear from NVIDIA's Danny Shapiro about the future of in-car gaming. I think it's going to be a, one of those things that people will just expect to have soon in their vehicles. But first, we talk all the time about the auto industry's coming EV revolution. But how close is it really? Fast charging alone doesn't get you there. Subsidies alone don't get you there. Additional range in the vehicle don't get you there. It's really from the combination of those things. We'll hear from Isaac Chan, partner at Roland Berger, where he leads the consulting firm's work on electrification and batteries in the Americas. Jamie reached him in Chicago before he left for CES. Isaac Chan, welcome to Daily Drive. Thanks, Jamie. Good to be here. So I'm out here in Las Vegas getting ready for CES to begin. Even before it does, there are two things I I feel like I know with pretty good confidence. Autos are going to play a, a pretty big role out here, and the vehicles that are revealed will all or almost all be electric. So, which makes sense. The industry is racing into EVs. For that to continue, we're going to need a lot more batteries. And ultimately, we're going to need probably better and cheaper ones too. So I wanted to get you on here to help us uh, get a sense. I mean, are we on the right track? Yeah, I'd say the industry in general is on the right track. There's still a lot of problems that collectively we all have to sort out and, and figure out how to actually actualize the, the development and, and the promises that have been made. But I'd say that from a policy standpoint, from an industry investment standpoint, from a technology standpoint, there's progress on all fronts. Uh, Certainly, we've seen EV sales uh, grow a fair amount, still pretty small portion, around five, maybe six percent. But we've seen such a a flood of investments in North America over the last year, over the last few months, especially since the uh, passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. Do you anticipate that the flurry of you know battery plant and EV plant announcements will continue through this year, or did everyone try to get their money in the ground or start getting their start uh, turning dirt, you know, so they could get those things uh, up and going? Is is the are the big announcements all kind of wrapped up? I'd say there's uh, there's still plenty more room and runway for further announcements this year. Most likely, they'll slow down a little bit given the general state of the world economy. But on the other hand, many OEMs have laid out very grand plans for electrification and certainly more battery plants, more EV conversions and more EV investment are going to be necessary. And so as we start to see those broader strategies materialize and turn into actual industrialization plans, I do expect that we're going to see a continuation of investment announcements, particularly in North America, where we need to build up an entire supply chain that is compliant in order to really reap the benefits of the IRA. So you you and your colleagues at Roland Berger uh, recently put out a pretty comprehensive uh, study of the battery supply chain. And one thing that really jumped out at me was a reference to overcapacity or planned overcapacity. How should I think about that? Have we already 
announced too many battery plants to be built, or is that just a regional disconnect uh, just by by certain pockets? How how should we think about that? Yeah, it's a great question. The announcements that we see from battery cell makers, even material companies that are going into batteries, far outstrip the total amount of demand that we realistically see over the coming decade from the auto industry. On the other hand, you can't take every grand announcement at face value necessarily. And many of those investments will be staged. We expect that some of the CapEx will go in for building out one line or one block at a time. And so you won't necessarily reach all of those announced capacities. So yes, if you do take all those announcements at face value, you have overcapacity. On the other hand, we don't expect that the investments will be made without secured contracts, without a clear line of sight to the market demand for those. What are your assumptions for adoption? Are you are you projecting a 40-50% US uh, sales by the end of the decade or something more moderate 25-30%? So generally we work with a range of scenarios. On the upper end we're expecting that pure battery electric vehicles would account for just shy of 40% in 2030 mm-hmm. for North America with plug-in hybrids providing an additional boost to that. However, that's the more aggressive case. Uh, We also see some scenarios where total demand might be in the mid to high 20% for battery electric vehicles in uh, in North America. So what are the key differences in those scenarios? What are the key drivers for EV adoption in the US? Is it bringing the cost down? Is it more charging? How How do you unpuzzle that? Yeah, part of the reason why we work with scenarios is because there's so much uncertainty. The main drivers here are the development of the technology and how fast we can bring down the battery costs. The IRA helps considerably, but there's still a lot of questions to be answered about exactly how many models will be qualifying, how much subsidy will really uh, be practical for the car buying public and the models that are available. The second comes down to consumer acceptance. And one of the things that gets glossed over oftentimes is that the user experience with EVs for the most part is great, but there are edge cases where the user experience really falls flat. And so that's where we get into the conversations about build out of an availability of charging infrastructure, uh, range rising within vehicle models. But ultimately it comes down to creating a user experience that's comparable to that of a combustion engine vehicle. And fast charging alone doesn't get you there. Subsidies alone don't get you there. Additional range in the vehicle don't get you there. It's really from the combination of those things that helps those edge cases, those days when you really need the range or when you have that unexpected trip or when you can't find a charger that is going to be compatible and and works on the day. Solving all of those pain points to create a seamless user experience is really the the big unknown and, and the big challenge out there. And there is no unilateral approach that that solves all those for for the mainstream consumer. And again, it's it's not for the daily drive. It's for their edge case scenario, which is what everyone purchases their their vehicle for, uh, myself included. I don't buy it for my median day, I buy it for what I expect to be my worst day. Right, right. So before I let you go, you know, just I feel like the biggest issue there's all those things, and those are all legit and important, but it's the cost, right? It's, it's, a, it's a hurdle for consumers. It's a hurdle for automakers. How do you see the, the cost curve coming down? If it's an $8,000 or $10,000 extra cost now, 
do you see cost parity in 2025 or 2030 or is that we're going to require some you know some some amazing breakthroughs well the time horizon is really important because over the last year or two we've seen prices actually go up because of raw materials <laughs> because of just the limited availability of battery cell capacity but overall we do expect that material prices will normalize a bit uh, given the extra investment in, in mining and processing of lithium and nickel especially we do expect that technology is going to improve incrementally over the decade uh, and then finally there's the ira and the ira has the potential to take even twelve thousand dollars off of that cost once you factor in not just the seventy five hundred dollar ev tax credit but also the production tax credits not to mention the the used vehicle tax credit <laughs> of two thousand on top you could easily be talking about twelve or fourteen thousand dollars which is more than enough to offset the parity but of course, it comes with some strings attached. And all, not every vehicle is going to qualify for the IRA. Not every vehicle has to qualify in order to meet the policy objectives. But still, there's going to be an increasing number of models that are compelling out there that are electric being brought forward by OEMs. Dealers are going to get better at selling them. Consumers are going to become more educated on them. And charging infrastructure is going to be built out gradually. And overall, these are all tractable problems that we expect to be overcome. And in the end, hopefully we should be left with a more decarbonized, not fully decarbonized, but more decarbonized transportation industry that also is secure from geopolitical risk and is meeting the needs of consumers. Isaac Chan, he's co-lead on the energy storage team within uh, Roland Berger's Advanced Technical Center and leads the work on electrification in the Americas. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks very much. Coming up, how close are we to playing video games in our cars? Jamie talks with NVIDIA's Danny Shapiro next on Daily Drive. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money Podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. People care about their car buying experience, and so do we. Provide your customers with an unparalleled chat and digital retailing experience with Goobagoo. Goobagoo is the leader in conversational commerce for the automotive industry. Our fully managed live messaging services instantly connect consumers to dealers anytime and anywhere through live chat, text, video, and more. Integrated with our fully managed chat, Goobagoo's virtual retailing platform enables consumers to buy cars online directly from the dealership's website through multiple channels. We are constantly improving the retailing experience and currently have over 100 integrations with CRMs, DMSs, and third-party applications. Goobagoo transforms the traditional car buying process into a modern, transparent, and seamless experience. Available 24-7, 365, our highly trained chat specialists are there to help. See it for yourself at goobagoo.com. That's G-U-B-A-G-O-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. 
I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Gaming is a massive global industry. MarketWatch reported in 2020 that it was larger than the film and North American sports industries combined, with global revenue estimated at $180 billion at the time. Helping people partake in high-end video games in their cars is something Danny Shapiro is working on. He's the vice president of automotive at NVIDIA. The computer gaming and artificial intelligence company is furthering its push into automotive development, manufacturing, and in-vehicle gaming. Ahead of CES this week, the tech titan announced an array of partnerships with automakers from around the world. They include Mercedes, Foxconn, and Hyundai Motor Group. I spoke with Danny yesterday ahead of CES. Here's a piece of our conversation. What is the timing for the rollout on the GeForce Now in-car experience? Uh, we haven't specified exactly. Um, you know, GeForce Now as a service is up and running. It works great. I think what we're doing is we're, we're onboarding new automakers, and there needs to be some integration potentially into existing vehicles from a software perspective, but also that they're um, looking at, at new vehicle models as well. So no exact timing, no exact models are being disclosed today, but um, we're on a, a fast track to, to get it integrated. So there's you know, software that uh, is a part of the infotainment systems. And then there's also networking work that we want to validate mm -hmm. that the experience is a good one, right? So if right. somebody has an existing 3G modem in the car, we're not going to recommend that they use that. However, maybe the car is on Wi-Fi when it's parked at the charging station. So that would work. There's also potentially opportunities to tether to an existing 5G phone. So that there's integration mm -hmm. that the automakers need to do, they might not be set up to have the infotainment system tether to a third-party device, right? Instead of the built-in modem. So there's there's some uh, engineering work that we're doing today to make sure that um, when it is released, that it's an excellent gaming experience. And then there's of course there's other safety software that goes um, into the the mix to ensure that you know, the driver isn't able to to interact with the system while the car is in motion. Like <laughs> yeah, you, we, obviously we don't want people playing games while they drive, but there it would be possible, depending how it's configured, you know, that someone could use it from the front seat as long as they're, uh, you know, if they're parked and charging or something oh, absolutely. like that. Yeah, that's, there's, there's a couple different scenarios. One is you have screens that are accessible to the driver that will only be active when in, when in park. Then there's screens, whether it's backseat, or I know some manufacturers are talking about having front seat passenger screens that are not visible to the driver. That's the situation where you could, in theory, uh, watch Netflix or, or play games while, while the car is in motion um, if the driver is not able. And then, of course, a big part of this is you know, planning for the future. When we go into you know, an autonomous mode, mm -hmm. then... We've, you know, we've seen prototype cars where the, yeah. where the driver's seats swivel or, or whatever. So once that the driver's no longer in the loop, then any kind of uh, entertainment, whether it's video conferencing, whether it's watching movies, playing games, all of the above, uh, will be part of that in-vehicle experience. How do you see in-car gaming growing as a business? How big do you see it getting? How pervasive do you see it getting, I guess, within the still human-driven world, and then as we move into an autonomous vehicle yeah. future? Well, I mean, so, so gaming 
is is a massive industry, right? I, I just one of the the stats was there's some game recently that got released. Its opening weekend was eight hundred million dollars in sales, <laughs> and so I think that, that's that's bigger than Top Gun Maverick and you know one of the other Marvel movie openings combined, right? So I mean, gaming right. is enormous. I mean, in car gaming, I think is is relatively small, but I believe it will grow. I think you have a lot of entertainment needs for for kids in the back seat. But as you have more and more EVs charging, right, there's sometimes a half an hour of dead time. And yeah, people can doom scroll on their phone or, or you know, maybe catch up on email or something like that. But I think we're seeing, I mean, I see a lot of people watching Netflix when I'm charging my car, my supercharger at the supercharger. And, um, and so I, I think there's a, a huge appetite for gaming. In terms of, of new revenue, I think, you know, for us, GeForce Now is a service that's not just about cars, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's across right. all kinds of devices. People play it at home, who are avid gamers, on laptops, you can play on tablets, you can play on mobile devices. And so it's really this shift to a cloud-first kind of experience, and it gives people the opportunity to, to have a PC quality, a high-end PC quality gaming experience, but do it anywhere. And so this just opens up another avenue for um, them in the car. So I, I think we'll see people who are already GeForce Now subscribers be able to do it in more and more vehicles. And I think it will be a nice thing. People can say, hey, let's get this model because it has the gaming built in and they may already be paying for it, right? So they just get it for free in their cars now. And then I think there could be some people who are introduced to it by having the vehicles first and then they'll, once they subscribe they realize they can play those games anywhere whether it's in the car or not so in a sense it's it's sort of it's a, a value add for you for geforce now and it's a value add for the automakers that that put Absolutely. it in their vehicles yeah. yeah i mean think of it as you know somebody who says okay i want to add you know the netflix app in my android auto infotainment system right and so you know, there's really not a lot of work the automaker has to do. There's some basic stuff, some basic plumbing, but it's just an extra perk for their their customers. But I, I think yeah, you'll see more and more people looking at, well, what what can I do in my car? You know, it's, right. just, it's a nice it's a nice thing. So, what are the key drivers of growth for that? Is it more prevalent 5G? Is it you know, more cars that are, are equipped with 4G and 5G. How do, how yeah, do you I, see that? I, I, a... I think I think as we see the, the mobile connectivity speeds increase, the reliability certainly goes up with 5G for mobile device um, you know, at, at, at speed. And so that's that's one aspect. I think the we'll see more and more Wi-Fi at charging stations. Um, so that'll that'll be another another driver. We're seeing huge interest from automakers for this we were kind of surprised and overwhelmed so you know we're announcing the first three <laughs> who wanted to take advantage of ces which is great but um, we have a large large pipeline uh, of others so um I, I think it's i think it's going to be a one of those things that people will just expect to have um soon in their vehicles where they can get a variety of streaming services whether it's just sort of a one directional which is a, a netflix streaming down or what's what's so unique about GeForce Now is that it's it's bi-directional, right? It has to be super low latency from that click to the pixel, you know, a whole mm -hmm. round trip, and just um, not many milliseconds. Otherwise, it just it, it doesn't work, right? You can buffer right. Netflix, 
and it's not a big deal, but you can't right. buffer the game. <laughs> you cannot buffer the game. Danny Shapiro is Vice President of Automotive at NVIDIA. You can read more about the company's newly announced array of partnerships with automakers at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on innovation and technology, updates from CES, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for more of our conversations from CES. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.